Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Roney. Today is the 23rd of November, 2022, and the 29th day of the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. We're at the end of Cheshvan, and tomorrow we will start a new Hebrew month, that of Kislev, uh, the month of Hanukkah, the month of miracles for the Jewish people. But this week we're reading the Torah portion of Toldot, which could not be more apropos to the news coming out of Israel today. This morning, 7 a.m., we Israelis woke up to a series of security events. There were two bombings in Jerusalem, about half an hour apart from each other, one at the entrance to Jerusalem and the other in the Jerusalem neighborhood of Ramot. Both of these um, bombings were carried out as a result of a bomb being placed next to a bus station, and 18 people were injured. One person has passed away so far. Hopefully, there will be no other casualties. So, um, we woke up to a hard morning also yesterday, a Druze-Israeli Teen, 18-year-old boy, uh, drove with a friend of his to the Palestinian city of Jenin. They were involved in a car crash on their way, and the boy was transferred to an Arab hospital in Jenin. He was on his deathbed when 20 uh, militants from uh, one of the Palestinian militias stormed into the room and kidnapped his body away from his father and family. The Thankfully, the militants did not realize that the other people in the room were the family members. So this Druze-Israeli young man, his body is now being held by Arab militias in Jenin. And um, the Israelis are negotiating for the body to be released. And if it will not be released, it can lead to uh, military involvement. So this could also play out in many, many hard ways. And... This is so apropos to this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is the portion of Toldot. It is a story of Yitzhak Avinu, of our forefather Yitzhak, the second one of our forefathers, the son of Avram. It's on, there's only one Torah portion that really deals with his life, um, mostly, but um, the main thrust of this Torah portion is how he is trying to build up the land of Israel, to um, dig wells, to get water out, to make this land as livable, as developed as possible. Avram Avinu, our forefather Avram, he dug wells throughout the land of Israel and the the Plishtim, the Philistines, yeah, you hear the connection in the names, the Plishtim, the Philistines would fill up the wells, the Jews would dig wells, and the Philistines would fill up the wells, and this would go on. And um, Itzhak went ahead and redug all of the wells that his father had dug, and then the Philistines would come say, come and say, get away, these are our wells, why are you taking away our work and our riches? 
And this is, to a T, the story of the modern Israel's relationship and the Jewish people's relationship with the Arabs and Palestinians in Israel. Okay, it is said the Ramban, a, a classic Middle Ages commentator on the Torah, says that everything that happened to our forefathers in the land of Israel is a sign of things to come for their children. It is called in Hebrew, the actions of the forefathers are signs of things to come for the children. So what happened in the relationship between the Arab dwellers of Israel and the Jewish people in the past hundred years? If you've read Mark Twain's diaries from his visit to Palestine in 1861, you see that it was basically a desert with some Bedouin and some camels and some small, dirty villages. Basically, this whole description of the land of Israel is we travel through a desert, we came to a little dirty village, there was some Bedouin sitting there, nothing to see, and then we traveled some more. And this is like, there's no no trees, no agriculture. You can travel for hours without seeing a single tree. This is what the land of Israel looked like in 1861. Just a few decades later, the Jews came to Israel. Uh, there was a large, a sizable Jewish community in, in the land of Israel, even at the same time, but basically the Jews lived mainly in Jerusalem and a little bit in Sfat and Tiberias, and it was a very small community and had no power. But in the 1880s, Jews are starting to come, more Jews are trying, starting to come from Europe to Israel, and they're starting to set up agricultural settlements. And the more they invest in agriculture, the more Arabs attack them. So the Jews have to dig and develop and plant with one hand and defend themselves from the Arabs with the other hand. So instead of joining the Jews in developing this land and building it up together and making it an amazing, beautiful place to live for everybody, what the Arabs are doing was to attack the Jews who are trying to develop the land. And this basically has been the storyline of the Jewish-Arab relationship in the land of Israel for the past 150 years. Jews trying to build and Arabs trying to blow up. Just like with the story of Yitzhak and the Philistines. The Jews are digging the wells, and the wells serve everybody. Once you have a well of water, it's not a private enterprise. You don't sit on the well unguarded. You don't charge money for the water. Once there is a well, it serves everybody. It serves the Jews, it serves the Philistines. Everybody enjoys the well. And we have stories throughout the Bible in which people would come together, different people come together and work together to uh, uncork a well. But here the Jews are basically digging wells for the well-being of everybody. And instead of saying, hey, thank you so much for digging this well, we can enjoy the water together. Let's go and dig some more wells together. Let's do it together. Once the Jews dig up wells, the Philistines come and fill it up with dirt again. What's the point exactly? You know, we have in Judaism a saying that there's something called Midat Zdom, a characteristic of Zdom. And Zdom is, I'm not going to have, but you're not going to have either. You know, it's cut off the nose to spite your face. And unfortunately, and I'm saying this with a lot of pain, unfortunately, the Arabs have in Israel have chosen this approach. You know, we're not going to have either, but what's important to us is that you don't have. And Golda Meir said it beautifully, that the day that 
the Arabs will love their children more than they hate the Jews will be the day that there will be peace in Israel. But instead of building up a country for themselves and working together with the Jews to create a better place, unfortunately, the Palestinians have chosen to fill up with dirt this collective well. Just think how amazing this country would have been if the Jews and the Palestinians could work together for economic prosperity. And we see, for example, that Israeli Arabs, the ones that live in Israel, the one and a half million Arabs living in so-called 1948 borders, 1967 borders. So there's one and a half million Arabs living inside you know, pre-1967 Israel, the Israeli citizens. They are the freest Arabs in the world. The Arabs in Israel have the longest lifespan of any Arab nation in the world. They have better levels of education, employment, and although the Arab society in Israel is poorer than the Jewish society, but still the Arab society in Israel is doing much, much better than just about any other Arab society, possibly outside of the Gulf region. But certainly Israeli Arabs are much freer than, let's say, Arabs in Saudi Arabia or in the Gulf region. They have more rights, they can vote, women can vote, women can get any kind of education, work in anything. There's full freedom of religion. So Israeli Arabs really have a terrific life thanks to Israel. And the fact is that the Palestinians, the people, the Arabs that live in what's called Judea and Samaria, in the areas that were freed by Israel in 1967, could also enjoy an amazing life. And many of them actually do. For example, I live right next to the city of Ramallah. Okay, Ramallah is the bourgeoisie city of the West Bank. It was beautiful, huge houses. And actually, the Palestinians are building and building and building beautiful, amazing, huge houses and buildings um, because they have this opportunity, because living next to Jews has become an economic boom for the Arab community. And I'm very happy for them, actually. I'm really happy for them to enjoy this bounty. All that we Israelis are asking is, please, don't fill up the wells that we're digging. When we're trying to build a country, don't fight against us. And the fact is that if Israel was to, God forbid, disappear, it's not like the Palestinians would build a beautiful, booming country on their own. We see what happened in Gaza. We see what happened in Gaza when Israelis pulled out 15 years ago. And instead of building a beautiful, burgeoning, rich society, Hamas has made that place miserable with almost 50% elevated unemployment. And the people in Gaza are the poorest, most depressed, most oppressed Arabs in the world. And they have a Palestinian autonomy. Why is that? Because Hamas is not interested in the welfare of its citizens. It's interested in fighting Israel. So this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for over 3,000 years, literally since Yitzhak Avinu has been digging wells throughout the land of Israel. Is it going to change? That's really a good question. It would take much more than the local Palestinians for this um, attitude to change. I think the Arab world in general has to understand that it has more to gain from working closely with Israel 
than it has to gain from working against that. And thankfully, some Arab nations are starting to understand this. The Emirates, um, Bahrain, Morocco, some of the nations are starting to understand this, hence the Abraham Accords. And I really hope that under the new Netanyahu government, we will see more peace agreements, hopefully with Saudi Arabia and with other Arab countries, so that this circle of countries that want to work against Israel becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and poorer and poorer and poorer. And the circle of countries that understand the advantage, the economic advantage, the political advantage, the technology advantage, the social advantage of working with Israelis will become bigger and bigger and bigger and richer and richer and richer. It's time to break the mold. There was never a Palestinian people here in the land of Israel, and most of the Palestinians who came to Israel came here during the 1920s and 30s as the Jews were coming. And the Palestinians came here for the economic opportunity that the Jews were creating. So if that's the story, and it is, and if Israel has been creating economic opportunities for the Palestinians as it is growing, I think it's really time for Palestinians to understand that. And I think they will understand it one day once they see that it's not fashionable in the Arab world to hate Jews. Once they see that their brothers, their cousins actually, because the places the most Palestinians came from are Egypt and Saudi Arabia, and this is reflected in their names, by the way. Once they see that their cousins from Saudi Arabia and Egypt and other places are working with Israelis, enjoying economic benefits, and are not really interested in this whole quote-unquote conflict. But um, it's going to take some time. And right now what we're facing is probably a new wave of security concerns. These two bombings this morning thankfully did not end the way they could have ended, the way they ended during the Intifada 20 and 25 years ago with dozens of casualties. Thank God, thank God. It's a hard morning and we have grown unused to these kinds of events, but um, it could be a sign of things to come. And it's really important that the Netanyahu government pulls up really fast and takes security matters into its own hand because the previous government is sort of out. They don't see themselves as responsible so much. As one of the journalists said this morning, you know, somebody should wake up Lapid and tell him that he's still the prime minister. And Netanyahu is facing some difficulties in forming the new government because um, there's a lot of give and take over which who's going to take what portfolio and who's going to take which ministry. So it's a little bit of a drama happening there. But there's really no ideological difference between the different parties. They're mostly on the same page with what they want to see happening in the country. And it's highly important that the four uh, parties that are going to make up the new government put aside their ideological differences, which are very slim, and put aside their uh, practical differences of who is going to take what portfolio. They sort of know. They have, you know, it's a little bit, they need a little bit of a compromise, and this person wants this, and that person wants, wants that. But this is something they can put aside to create a government ASAP so that the Netanyahu government can address this growing security concern. Um, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that the two bombings this morning were carried out by an Eastern Jerusalem um, terror cell. 
And once again, the story in Janine was a kidnapping of um, Drew's young men. It's going to be concerning if Israel will need to bring its army in to get the body out. And Israel will absolutely do that. Kidnappings like this are just not, not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. So this situation could deteriorate fairly quickly, and we really hope that it doesn't. So this is what I wanted to say this morning about the security concern and this very clear parallel to the story of Yitzhak in our week's, this week's Parsha. And I think it's something also for us to take to our own lives. Now, sometimes the people we don't like, and instead of cooperating with them on things that could be mutually productive, we are so um, stuck in wanting to undermine them or maybe just sabotage them or maybe just not have a relationship with them. And in the end, we're the ones paying the price. So who in your life is digging a well that could actually benefit you and you are just walking around, not being in contact with them or maybe even filling up that well uh, just because you don't like that person or because you have some kind of a fight or maybe just maybe you're a bit jealous of them. Um, it happens. It happens. We're all human. We all get jealous. We all have our feelings, our emotions. But I think we need to look at life in a more productive way. So actually, just a few years ago, in one of my places of employment, I had a fairly difficult interaction with a certain point, with a certain person. Um, it you know, I, I think they, they, they weren't right and they made the work environment very difficult for me and I ended up leaving that place of work. And recently that person reached out to me and they asked me for a meeting um, on something that they're working on and they thought that my expertise could be useful there. Now, I could have told him, like, no, I'm not interested. You know, I've had my chance with you. I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with you. But I think I've actually grown from the difficult experience a few years ago. So I could meet up with him, hear of his idea, see how I could um, benefit from it, how we could work in it together, but also create the kind of boundaries that wouldn't allow him to put me into the same kind of situation that he did way back then. So this is an opportunity to grow for him and for me. And the fact that he did something wrong three, four, five, six, seven years ago doesn't mean that we cannot have a new opportunity here. So I suggest that you listen and look at your own life. Who is building wells that you could enjoy if you could forgive them, if you could actually get over your antipathy, your feeling of annoyance at that person? Yeah, people make mistakes in life. And maybe you're somebody you're annoyed with, but maybe it's time to put that aside and say, hey, you know, there's a wall here. There's something beautiful that you're doing. How can you be of help? How can we do this together? Um, it's easy to see the mistake that other people are doing. It's easy to read about it in the Bible and say, like, what were they thinking? He's drilling a well for them. What were they thinking? Filling it back up with dirt. Or what were they thinking? Fighting over it. Like, it's a well. It's a resource. It comes up for everybody. <laughs> There's no shortage of water in a well. Why do you have to fight over a well? There's enough water in a well for everybody. But sometimes we do the same exact thing. We either um, undermine other people's successes just so that it's not there, or we fight them over that success because we're jealous when there's really nothing to fight about and there's enough for everybody to share. Or we don't partake in successes because we don't like the people. So 
I think it's a lot of internal work and consideration that we need to give to be able to learn from this message and apply it in our life. We really want to be in the place of Yitzhak. What does Yitzhak do? He says, you know, you want to fight over this well? I'm not going to fight with you. I'm going to go and drill a new well. There's plenty of place to drill new wells. And he goes and he drills new wells. And he's successful with his new wells. On the other hand, you know, when somebody's fighting with you over something, there's just so much abundance around the world. <laughs> now, instead of putting our energy into fighting people, we can drill new wells and so many new opportunities. So this is a message for all of us to take into our own life. And now I want to look forward to this month of Kislev. Kislev is a beautiful, beautiful month. It's the month of Hanukkah, which is one of the most beautiful Jewish holidays. All Jewish holidays are beautiful, but Hanukkah is especially special. What's beautiful about Hanukkah is that it brings a message of light into darkness. Kislev is the time when the days are the shortest during the year. There's the most darkness. The light um, stops very early. The sun sets very early. And then the sun comes up very late. So the nights are the longest. There's the most darkness. It's cold. It's dreary. In Israel, it usually rains during this time, and in other parts of the world, it's snowing. Like nobody wants to go out. It's cold, and nothing grows, and it's it's that yicky time of the year. But God says, "Guess what? In all of this dreariness and coldness and darkness, just go light a candle. Go light a candle. One candle, the light of one candle, can push away so much darkness." This is a um, very basic idea in Judaism. Uh, a little bit of light can push away a lot of darkness. When there's a lot of darkness, you don't fight darkness with darkness. You don't sit there and say, oh, so dark here. All you do, one match, one light, and there's no more darkness. Literally, like a little bit of light, just a little, a little candle. And it pushes the darkness away. It doesn't have to fight the darkness. It just melts. The darkness melts as soon as there is light. And that's a very important message for ourselves as well, for our personal lives and for our national life. We can be annoyed with the darkness. We can be annoyed with the evil. We can feel that we're victims. We can lament the evil. Or we can say, okay, where can I add a little bit of light? And not a lot of light. I don't have to do it all. Just one step. Where's my little candle that I can light? Today, I can only light one candle. I'm going to light that one candle and bring that light in. And the same is true for our national life. Living here in the land of Israel, we can lament what we discussed earlier, the fact that the Palestinians don't get it, don't understand that we're bringing them economic prosperity and the intent of fighting us. Okay, we can change them. I mean, we can absolutely assert our boundaries and protect ourselves, but we can't change them. What we can do is light more light. Make this country even better. Invest in it in economically, invest in it socially, invest in education, infrastructure. Make this country more and more and more amazing, which is what Israel has been doing for the past 75 years. And that's the message of Hanukkah. When you understand that no darkness can kill you, no darkness can strangle you, you don't have to look in darkness. All you have to do is just light one candle. And today it's one candle. You can't light eight. You can only light one. Tomorrow, 
Tomorrow there'll be room for two candles, and maybe in two days there'll be the room for three candles. But today you can light what you can light, and go ahead, concentrate on the small steps you can take today. That's the beautiful message of Hanukkah, that no darkness is too dark for a little light. So taking that right back at you, what is the darkness in your life that you would like to dissipate? What's the light that you can like today? One little thing, one little action that will bring more light. A little bit of light can push away a lot of darkness. What is your one little light that you can like today in whatever darkness you're living in? And really, this is the whole purpose of creation. God could have created a world that is full of light. God doesn't need us to push away the darkness. God could have created a world of perfection. Every darkness in the world exists for our sake, for us to illuminate. That's exactly the partnership that we have with God in this world. It is said that the world exists for each one of us. Our sages said that a person has to say, the world exists for me. Uh, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains that the word world also means hiddenness. It's the same shor- root, the same shorish in Hebrew. So all of the hiddenness of the world, all of the darkness, darkness is just hiding of God. All of the darkness in the world exists only for me. For me to do what? Not to fight it, not to lament it, not to get annoyed at it. The darkness is there for me to light the light. So every darkness, every problem, everything that I see that is not satisfactory in the world is an invitation to light a light, to dig a well, to bring something good into the world. So what's the darkness that you are facing? I would like to send you a hug and embrace a word of support in the darkness that you're facing right now. It's something that God is challenging you with because he knows that you are the right person to light a light in that darkness and make that place a little bit beautiful, a little bit more spacious, a little bit more light. So what's the light you can light today? Maybe tomorrow you'll light two lights, and then three days you'll light three lights. And in a week you'll light seven lights, and eight lights, and nine lights. And then, lo and behold, this whole place is illuminated with light, and the darkness is gone. And it all started with one little light, was one little thing you did. And sometimes, yes, circumstances can be very hard, and you light a light, and somebody comes and sniffs it off. Just like with Yitzhak. He drilled a well, and the Philistines came and filled it up with dirt. He never gave up. You say, oh, this well thing doesn't work. I drilled the well and the Philistines fill it up. I drill a well, Philistines fill it up. He's like, no, I'm going to drill wells. That's my job here. This is what I'm doing. I have to bring up more water, more goodness, make this place better. And, you know, I'll just move aside and I'll do it in a different place. So even if you light a light and it doesn't always work, and maybe somebody sniffs out your light, go light another one. That's the beauty of light. It's not hard to light a light, and then it creates so much light and beauty for everybody. So I'm going to sign off, uh, wishing you uh, an amazing week, wishing you a great Shabbat. I hope that the coming days will be quieter, 
with better security situation in Israel. And I hope that in our private lives and in our personal, national life, we can light more light, dig more wells, bring more abundance, love, and blessing to each other. Have a terrific week. This was Leah Roney with news from the Torah. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 